Welcome to Jazz Piano Skills. I'm Dr. Bob Lawrence. It's time to discover, learn, and play jazz piano. Today, you are going to discover Keith Jarrett's tremendous solo on a classic Miles Davis tune, Four. You're going to learn how Keith Jarrett uses extensive scale and arpeggio motion when improvising over four. And you're going to play 13 Keith Jarrett melodic approaches that he used when improvising over four. So as I always like to say, regardless of where you are in your jazz journey, a beginner, an intermediate player, an advanced player, or even if you are an experienced professional, you are going to find this Jazz Panel Skills podcast lesson exploring Keith Jarrett's solo on four by Miles Davis to be very beneficial. If you are new to Jazz Panel Skills, and if you are a new Jazz Panel Skills podcast listener, I want to personally invite you to become a Jazz Panel Skills member. Visit jazzpanelskills.com to learn more about the abundance of jazz educational resources and services that are available for you to use when studying jazz. For example, you have access, all Jazz Panel Skills members have access to the educational podcast packets, the illustrations, the lead sheets, and the play-alongs that are available for every podcast episode. As a Jazz Panel Skills member, you also have full and complete access to the sequential Jazz Piano curriculum. And this is a curriculum that is loaded with comprehensive courses using a self-paced format, educational talks, interactive media, video demonstrations, and play-alongs. As a Jazz Panel Skills member, you also have access to the online weekly masterclasses, which are, in essence, a one-hour online lesson with me every week. And as a Jazz Panel Skills member, you also have access to the private Jazz Panel Skills community, which hosts a variety of engaging forums, podcast-specific, course-specific forums, and even general forums for you to enjoy. And last but not least, you have unlimited private, personal, and professional educational support. Again, visit jazzpanelskills.com to learn more about all of the educational opportunities and how to easily activate your Jazz Panel Skills membership. If you have any questions, please do not hesitate to reach out to me. I'm always happy to help in any way that I can. Okay, let's discover, learn, and play jazz piano. Let's discover, learn, and play Keith Jarrett's solo over the classic Miles Davis tune, Four. The Keith Jarrett recording of Four that we are going to listen to and study today comes from the My Foolish Heart double album that he recorded at Montreux in 2001 and was released in 2007. I highly, and I mean I highly, recommend checking out this recording. Every tune is absolutely fabulous. In addition to Miles Davis's four, you will enjoy Sonny Rollins' Olio, Thelonious Monk's Straight No Chaser, and Jerry Mulligan's Five Brothers. And it's a surprise to find three tracks in a ragtime stride mode, right? Keith Jarrett playing ragtime stride. Ain't misbehaving, Honeysuckle Rose, and You Took Advantage of Me. Again, which you would not expect to hear from Keith Jarrett, but it is simply awesome. You have to check it out. He is joined, as always, by longtime bassist uh, Gary Peacock and longtime drummer Jack Dejeunette. Definitely check it out and add it to your jazz collection. The recordings will continue to get better and better with each passing year, as all great and timeless recordings do. So again, it's Keith Jarrett, My Foolish Heart. Add it to your collection. Okay, before we listen to four and Keith Jarrett's solo, I do want to quickly recap our journey over the past six weeks. We spent the month of April exploring inverted melodic shapes for the major, dominant, and minor sounds, which, again, 
are simply the melodic representation of the harmonic inversions. The focus of each podcast episode, which I stressed over and over again, was to illuminate the oneness, the sameness of harmony and melody. So once we established the nexus between harmony and melody, we then took the four harmonic shapes, root position, first inversion, second inversion, and third inversion of each major dominant and minor sound and turned them into melody using ascending and descending arpeggio and scale motion. We then applied enclosures as a way to add ornamentation, to decorate, to camouflage the arpeggios and scales, so that they do not sound like arpeggios and scales. And after exploring the melodic shapes for major, dominant, and minor sounds, we then devoted an entire podcast episode to placing these shapes and sounds within the context of the most iconic jazz progression of all, the 2-5-1 progression. Then last week, we took it a step further. We applied the melodic shapes and enclosures to a tune, to Juan Teasel's jazz standard Perdido. And today, we're going to go even a step further by examining a jazz piano solo by one of the greatest jazz pianists of all time, Keith Jarrett, to see if we can find arpeggio and scale motion along with any ornamentation especially enclosures. I bet we do. But before we do, if you are a Jazz Piano Skills member, pause this podcast episode right now to download and print the illustrations and the lead sheets podcast packets. The illustrations beautifully outline for you all of the scale and arpeggio motion for each chord found in four. And the lead sheets packet includes a transcription of Keith Jarrett's four solo plus several essential lead sheets. You're going to find uh, a lead sheet that has the changes plus the melody. You're going to have to find a lead sheet that has the changes only. You're going to have to find another lead sheet with the harmonic function of four as well. And also included in the lead sheets packet is a color-coded transcription, a color-coded transcription that distinguishes between Keats Jarrett's use of scale and chord tones versus non-scale and chord tones. And more about that a little later on in the podcast, which you are going to find to be absolutely stunning. You are definitely going to want the materials found in the podcast packets in your hand as I begin extracting various components of the solo for us to analyze and play. If you do not have access to the podcast packets, no worries. My discussion to follow will still be very beneficial, but, but might be a little tough to follow from time to time. Of course, you can join Jazz Piano Skills right now and download the podcast packets and all the materials, n not only for this podcast episode, but for the 76 previous episodes that I have already done, plus all the future podcast episodes as well. Something to definitely think about. All right. The agenda and format for today are as follows. Number one, I'm going to play four. Just one chorus so we can get the tune, the melody, in our ears. Number two, we're going to listen to the first two choruses of Keith Jarrett's solo on four. Number three, I'm going to spotlight 13 melodic ideas played by Keith Jarrett when soloing on four. I'm going to play each of the ideas and I'm going to analyze each of the ideas. And number four, I'm going to draw conclusions and establish criteria for developing practice exercises to begin developing aura and muscle memory in preparation for improvising. 
This is going to be a ton of fun. So let's get started. The very first thing I want to do is take a second here and play the tune four, Miles Davis's four. So I'm going to bring the ensemble in. I'm going to play one chorus uh, so we can get a, an idea how this song goes if you're not familiar with it. And even if you are familiar with it, it's great to kind of get this melody in our ears before we take a listen to Keith Jarrett and begin dissecting his solo. So here we go. Here's Four by Miles Davis. Let's check it out. Such a great tune, which, by the way, that uh, tempo is 200. And I believe Keith Jarrett's playing it maybe slightly faster, maybe about 210, 220, somewhere in there. But the play-alongs that are included in your play-along packet um, that is available for you to use when practicing, I have five different tempos laid out for you to use. 120, 140, 160, 180, and 200. So that's four by Miles Davis. Great melody, great chord changes. So now let's bring Keith Jarrett in. Let's check out Keith Jarrett's uh, rendition of four. And we're going to listen to two choruses of his solo. And those are the two choruses, of course, that we're going to use, that I'm going to use today to uh, dissect and analyze for you. So here we go from the, the double album, My Foolish Heart. Recorded at Montreux with Gary Peacock and Jack Dejeunette. Here is Keith Jarrett playing Miles Davis's Four. fantastic man just a lot of energy right right out of the chute right it's just wonderful so okay hopefully you have that transcription in front of you and that you were using it and following along with it uh, when you listen to the solo it helps quite a bit to uh, watch those lines fly by as you're listening to them so now what we're going to do is I'm going to kind of walk us through those first two choruses and extract some uh, 
melodic ideas that I want to shine a spotlight on and for us to examine and take a look at and then utilize to begin developing our own improvisational skills, our own jazz language. Okay, so here we go. The very first line, I want you to take a look at measure two. Measure two. The chord is an F major seven. Keith Jarrett starts on a G. He starts, his entry point is the ninth. And guess what he does? He goes straight scale motion, right descending scale motion from the ninth right down to the fifth. He skips the fourth and uses arpeggio motion to get to the third, which is the A. And then he finishes out with scale motion to the tonic, to the note F. So the line sounds like this. Wow. You can't get you can't get any simpler than that, right? That's just straight scale motion. Right? Take a simple little idea like that. Uh, descending scale motion starting on ninth and, and start moving it around. Apply it to some different major chords. How about C major? Right? B flat major. E flat major. And so on and so on. So here's just a great little example, right? Scale motion with an entry point of the ninth using scale motion down to the fifth, then arpeggio motion to the third, followed by scale motion to the to the root. Can't get any simpler from any simpler than that. And that right there, that in and of itself is a fabulous exercise to move around and start practicing on all 12 major chords. So right right at the very beginning, measure two of Keith Jarrett's solo, straight, pure scale motion all the way down from the ninth, all the way down to the root. It's fabulous. Okay, so now let's take a look at measure three. The chord is F minor. His entry point is the seventh of F minor, which is the E flat. Then he's going to use arpeggio motion from the fifth all the way up to the ninth. So it's, it's fantastic. Scale motion down back to return to the seventh. And then the root. So it's this. Such a great little idea, right? You notice how I repeated that? I'm sitting there, I'm playing that, and I'm kind of digesting it myself and enjoying it, right? So he's using this arpeggio motion starting from the seventh, arpeggiating then from the fifth up to the ninth, scale motion descending back to the seventh. And then look what follows on, on the B-flat dominant seven in measure four, right? Arpeggio motion again, from the third and then the ninth and the seventh. So what's interesting about that little motif is that he's starting on the third, then he uses arpeggio motion from the root to the 13th, then up a step to the ninth to the seventh. So I'm noticing here these uh, parallel thirds, if you will, right? You could have kept going, right? And that's going to be probably one of the exercises that we take a look at toward the end of the podcast, these moving thirds. So exercise, uh, I mean, measures three and four, again, arpeggio motion followed by scale motion. Great lessons in measures three and four as well. Now, measure five. So this is kind of funny, right? We took a look at measure two, and now I'm doing measure, did measures three and four, and now measure five, right? We're not going to go measure by measure, but it's just right out of the right out of the shoot again, right? Uh, Keith Jarrett is is just giving us a, a ton of wonderful ideas to think about for developing our own jazz vocabulary, our own jazz language. So uh, I will, I promise, we're going to start jumping around, but for right now. Let's take a look at measure five. He starts, the chord is a G minor seven. 
And he starts on what? The ninth. You're probably already picking up on the fact that Keith Jarrett likes the ninth, right? He started that F major. The entry point was the ninth, right? His B flat dominant seven uh, had a ninth in it. His F minor, the F minor seventh arpeggiated up to the ninth. Here we are on G minor seven starting on the ninth. So Keith Jarrett, obviously just in the first several measures, I'm picking up on the fact that he really likes the sound of the ninth. So he starts he starts scale motion on the ninth on that G minor on the note A. And he's going to use ascending scale motion to the fifth. And then from the fifth, arpeggio motion to what? Oh, to the ninth. So here we're back on the ninth. And then descending scale motion with a resolution to the fifth, a primary chord tone. So now the entire line sounds like this. Wow, beautiful. It's a great idea, great line. And again, a nice balance between what? Scale motion and arpeggio motion. A nice balance between what? Ascending and descending movement. It's fabulous. Great. Just that right there, measure five, is a incredible lesson between balancing your arpeggio and scale motion and your ascending and descending movement. Okay, jump to measure 10 in your transcription. The chord progression is an A flat minor 7 to a D flat dominant 7. So we have a 2 5 relationship. The primary entry point that he uses for that A flat minor 7th, again, is another primary chord tone. It's the fifth. And he uses scale motion from the fifth up to the seventh. And then he goes to what? Arpeggio motion to the ninth. Oh, imagine that. That arpeggio, that ninth then resolves to the A flat down to the note G. So when I put the chords with it, it sounds like this. Doesn't that sound rich? Again. And what's significant about that note G, that's the sharp 11. So we have an altered dominant sound there implied by the melody, right? The sharp 11 sound. So it's interesting. He's using um, scale motion, once again, ascending scale motion, starting on the fifth of A flat minor, a primary chord tone, ascending to what? The ninth, which we've already established that he loves that sound. And it resolves descending scale motion into that D flat dominant seven with a landing with a destination point being the G natural, which is the sharp 11 sound. And you're going to find out as we go through this solo, Keith Jarrett also loves the sharp 11 sound. So measure 10 is fabulous. And again, a nice balance between ascending, scale motion, arpeggio motion, and descending as well. Look at measure 11th. You notice anything in a measure 11th? I love this. Here's another great lesson by Keith Jarrett. Measure 11. Nothing. There's nothing in measure 11. Silence. It's beautiful. Practice silence. <laughs> I know that sounds crazy, but you should. You should actually build in and be consciously aware of practicing silence while you're practicing your improvisation. Another great lesson by the great Keith Jarrett. Now take a look at measure 14, which again, we have that 2-5 relationship between the A-flat minor 7 and the D-flat dominant 7. His entry point on the A-flat minor 7 this time, again, is another primary chord tone, which is the third, the C-flat, and he just uses arpeggio, descending arpeggio motion through the triad. So he's got the third, A flat, the root, and then the fifth, E flat. It's great. Just simple triad, descending arpeggio. And then the D flat seven, the D flat dominant seven, begins a descending scale motion on the 13th, on the B flat. 
And what's that? There's our sharp 11 sound again that he likes. Wow, beautiful. So the line sounds like this. Wow. It's Again, he's, uh, he's accentuating that sharp 11 sound, and you're going to see that throughout this throughout this entire solo. So it's just kind of interesting. You got measure 10 with the A flat minor 7 and D flat 7, and the sharp 11 pops out. And then right away again in measure 14, A flat minor 7, the D flat dominant 7 again. And again, the the G natural is, is played in his line, which is that sharp 11. Another great little lesson there, again, descending arpeggio motion using the triad followed by descending scale motion through the sharp 11 sound. Okay, so now let's turn our attention to measure 16 and 17, and look what we have. It's a C dominant 7 is our chord, and uh, he has an entry point again of the third, so he starts on the E natural, arpeggio motion descending to the, to the root, which is C, and then ascending scale motion D and E so he's get he has this oh my goodness guess what that is it's an enclosure and there it is that's what we've been studying that's how we've been ornament adding ornamentation to our ascending and descending arpeggio and scale motion and right here in measure 16 Keith Jarrett throws in a little enclosure around what note? Around the D. What is D in relationship to C dominant seven? Oh my goodness, it's the ninth. <laughs> he, he loves the ninth, right? So he has that enclosure, C7. Oh, that actually resolves to the F major seven. I played a dominant there. Here it is again. There it is. Perfect. It's beautiful. So there we have it, an enclosure in measures 16 and uh, 17. Wow. And here is another wow. Look at measures 17 and 18. Our chord is F major 7. He um, has a you know, half note there on, on the 7th um, on counts 1 and 2. But check out what's happening on count 4. He starts descending scale motion on what note? On the ninth. So he has descending scale motion all the way down to the fifth. He leaps over the fourth using arpeggio motion to the third. Right? And then descending scale motion from the third down to the sixth or to the thirteenth. So the entire line sounds like this. And with the chord. But what I want to draw your attention to, that's just flat out descending scale motion on that F major 7. But what I want to draw your attention to, that should sound pretty familiar because if you look back up at measure 2, what did he have? Descending scale motion on the F major 7. Again, starting on what note? The ninth. So wait a minute. Do we have Keith Jarrett repeating the same idea within the same solo? Yes, we do. So repetition is a good thing in improvisation. Many young improvisers try to avoid repeating melodic ideas. Here we have Keith Jarrett coming back to that theme, coming back to that little motif again, and stating it again, basically an octave higher. And repetition is a very good thing. And I've stated this before in previous podcast episodes. I had a teacher that used to say, anything that uh, is worth saying is worth repeating. And anything that's not worth repeating is probably not worth stating the first time. So here we have a nice little descending scale motion motif that Keith Jarrett states in measure two. And then we see him repeating that same kind of idea in measures 17 and 18. The lesson of repetition taught so beautifully by the great Keith Jarrett. 
Okay, so now let's take a look at measures 19 through 22. There is a lot going on here. So let's take a look at measure 19 first. Uh, the chord is an F minor 7. Uh, the entry point is the 7th, right? You're probably picking up on the fact that he uses primary chord tones as his entry points. Prim you know, the 7th or the 5th or the 3rd. Um, and here is an example of him using the seventh on that F minor, the E flat. And he uses ascending scale motion from the seventh all the way to up to the fifth. So he has all the way up to that C of the F minor. And then from the C, straight arpeggio motion, C, E flat, G, B flat all the way up to the 11th, through the 9th, all the upper extensions, right? He's going from the 7th up to the 9th up to the 11th. So he's getting this. What a great line. And if you noticed back in measures 3, measure 3 on that F minor 7, he uses that same arpeggio. Uh, he doesn't extend it up to the 11th, but he starts his arpeggio motion on the 5th of that F minor, on the C. He does the same thing here again on F minor. So he's got this. Ascending scale motion, transitioning into ascending arpeggio motion. It's fabulous. Now on the B-flat dominant 7th, in the very next measure, uh, that follows in measure 20. He's got the B-flat dominant 7. His entry point is the A-flat, which is the 7th. He begins descending motion at that time. So he's ascending through the 2 chord. Now he's going to start descending motion through the 5 chord. So he's coming down A-flat, G, F, and what? E-natural. What is E-natural in relationship to B-flat dominant 7? What's that sound? Sharp 11. There's that sharp 11 again. He's been emphasizing that sharp 11 on the D-flat dominant 7. Now he's emphasizing that sharp 11 sound again, but this time on a B-flat dominant 7. He loves the sharp 11 sound indeed. And then from that sharp 11, he ascends to the 13th, to the G, and then the F. So he has an enclosure there. He, he wraps an enclosure around the note F. Fabulous. So here's another enclosure. Here's another sharp 11. Here's another ascending scale and ascending arpeggio motion. <laughs> it's great, right? We're starting to figure out the tools that Keith Jarrett loves to utilize when improvising. Now look at uh, measures... Uh, measure 21 and measure 22. It's a G minor 7, okay? But here's what I want to point out on this. You, you see it's kind of stationary movement. He has a B flat, which is the entry point again, is the 3rd, up, up to the 11th. Then he comes down the third, to the A, to the B flat. So he has a, another enclosure here, right? The C, the A, to B flat, right? And then he does that C, A again, and then G and B flat. So get, if you analyze that, if you take a look at that carefully, he's messing around on it. He's on a G minor 7, and he's messing around with the basically the notes G and B flat, the, the, the root and the third, and the second and the fourth. All right, whole step up. So he's getting... He's just staying put right there. So I just wanted to draw your attention to that because that's kind of like a little form of what I call stationary improvisation. And uh, he's working off the third. He's working off the, the root and the third and the second and the 11th. And he has a nice little enclosure in there again. So uh, stationary improvisation is, again, a, a, an approach that we should be practicing. We're always talking about ascending and descending arpeggio and scale motion. Right, which is fantastic, and it's obvious, it's apparent when you look at Keith Jarrett's solo that he he uses those uh, th those motions and those directions. But here's a great little example of some stationary improvisation, which a lot of times gets overlooked 
And we should absolutely be building that into our practicing. And I did a couple podcast episodes on stationary improvisation last year that if you haven't checked those out, take time to take time to do so. I think you're going to find them to be very beneficial for you. One final point real quick, too, on that stationary improvisation with that G minor, with that, you know, working off the G and the B flat and then the A and the C. The A again uh, is what? It's the ninth, right? I referenced that earlier as the second and the fourth, which it is, but it's also the ninth and the eleventh. So here's Keith Jarrett emphasizing the ninth again, which he which he loves that sound as well. So now if you jump to uh, measures 26 and measures 27. In measure 26, we're back to another 2-5 relationship, the A-flat minor 7 to the D-flat dominant 7. And uh, he he's, his entry point is the 7th, right? He does that quite often as well. So his entry point is the 7th of the A-flat minor. And he's going to come right down straight, literally, arpeggio right down the A-flat minor chord. There it is. And then on the D-flat dominant 7, he's back to an entry point on the 13th on that. B flat, A flat, F sharp. He's going to use F sharp as a half step approachment into what note? The note G. And what is the note G again in relationship to our D flat? It's that sharp 11 sound again. So here we have it, right? He comes down that A flat minor, D flat, and that sharp 11. Where have we heard that before? We've heard that before basically on every A-flat minor, 7, D-flat dominant 7 that he's played so far. He's played sharp 11. So he really likes that uh, sharp 11 sound or that, what's the academic mode for that? Lydian flat 7 mode. So um, then look at what happens in measure 27. We have a G minor 7. His entry point is what? the seventh again. So we have the G minor. He's coming in on that seven, followed by an E natural, which is the six. And then look what happens on counts three and four. He has a D, E, F, D. Now we've studied those in the past before as well. That's a little cyclical quadruplet, right? That's a little way of a little improvisational device and ornamentation as well. Where you start on the D, you end on the D. Right? These are great little, great little uh, motifs that, that, again, I've done podcast episodes last year on cyclical quadruplets, and I would encourage you to check it out. Right? These are great little exercises to practice. And here's Keith Jarrett utilizing one in his improvisation. How fabulous. Okay, on to measure 29. And I just, I, I highlighted this one. There's, there's nothing fancy going on here, except that um, it's a it's another two five relationship. It's a D minor seven going to a G dominant. Uh, the entry point is the root. He starts on the root of D minor. Again, nothing fancy there, and he kind of gets a little pentatonic sound. And what's nice here is his intervals, his arpeggio motion is not moving in thirds, and I guess that's why I highlighted it. And we're going to do more of this kind of. Uh, study a little later here in the year where we're looking at arpeggios using uh, different inter interval relationships other than the third. And here we have it, right? We have a D going down to an A, then scale motion, and then arpeggio motion back up to the A, and then a, a leap or arpeggio motion of a fifth down to the D. It's a great little sound. Okay. So I just, I just, highlight that for a second for you to give some thought to that because we're going to be dealing with those shapes and sounds a little later in the year. Okay, so now look at measures 32 through 34. G minor 7, another 2-5 relationship. G minor 7, the C dominant 7. He starts his G minor with an entry point of the root of the note G. And look what he does. He ascends straight up the G minor 7 chord. Straight arpeggio from the root up to the seventh. Okay. The C dominant seven, uh, uh, he's up. He has an entry point of the third on the C dominant. Leaps up to the what? He leaps up to the ninth. And then uses half step motion to get down to the C, which is the fifth 
of the F major, the resolution to the one chord. But look what he does on this one chord. I want to draw your attention to the fact that he's starting on the fifth of that F major. Look at count three. Uh, he's on by count three, he's on the note A. And then look at the very following measure. By count two, he's on the note F. So he's working his way down uh, the arpeggio uh, of F major from the C down to the A down to the F. And he's kind of camouflaging that a little bit with some scale motion. Repetition, repetition, finally down to the F. It's, it's a, a neat little line, but hidden within that line is the F major triad. So I wanted to point that out as well. It's a very clever. Okay, measures 42 and 45. What do we have again? <laughs> another A flat minor 7 to D flat dominant 7. Another 2-5 relationship. And what do you think is going to happen? You got it. He's going to he's going to land on that sharp 11. So on that A flat minor 7, his entry point is the 5th. And he's going to use scale motion down to the 3rd, arpeggio motion to the root of A, A flat minor, right? That's it. Very simple. And then that A flat drops one half step down to the G to give us that sharp 11 sound. Wow. There it is again. I, I think we can say at, at this point that when Keith Jarrett is playing over his A flat minor 7 and D flat dominant 7 within the tune 4, he's hearing and prefers and loves the sharp 11 sound. And so do I. I think it's fantastic. So that's measures 42. Now look at measure, uh, um, I want you to look at measure 45, G minor 7. Okay. So uh, he's using a little ornamentation to get into that G minor. He's using an F sharp, which is a half step approachment. Right there going into count three. Okay. And then uh, a leap up to the fifth. And then arpeggio motion right back down to the uh to the G. So that's like a little, that's another cyclical quadruplet, right? Where he starts his idea on count three and he ends up right back at, at G. So he starts on G, ends on G. And he does so using arpeggio motion. Again, very clever. And then look at the very next measure, measure uh, 43, uh, 44. 44, C dominant seven. F sharp, up to the A, to the G. So he's adding an enclosure. Here's another enclosure around the note G, which is the fifth of the C dominant. And then scale motion down to the C, to the A minor, right? So wow, in measures 42 through 45, we have a lot going on. We have sharp 11 sound on the A flat minor, D flat dominant seven. We have a half step ornamentation, the F sharp going into our G minor seven. He uses a cyclical quadruplet with descending arpeggio motion. And then another enclosure with the F sharp A wrapping around the G of the C dominant seventh. Wow. A lot of devices that we've talked about and that we need to give some serious consideration to in developing some exercises to help us develop those tools so that we can use them as well in our improvisation. Okay, believe it or not, we have covered 12, 12 melodic ideas already that Keith Jarrett, that we've extracted from Keith Jarrett's solo on Miles Davis's four. The final uh, uh, melodic exercise, the final melodic idea that I want to highlight, exercise, <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm already thinking about exercises, man, that I want to put together for, uh, based on this solo, but uh, the final melodic idea that I want to spotlight and highlight today, measures 51 through measure 54, 51 through 54, uh, it's a 2-5 relationship again, five, F minor 7 going to the B flat dominant 7. I want you to notice that he starts his F minor uh, on the note G, which is the ninth. again, 
His love affair for sharp 11s and 9s pop out all over in this uh, solo. So Keith Jarrett starts his F minor descent uh, with the entry point being the 9th, the G for his F minor. And then he's coming down to the E flat and then coming down to the C. But notice how he rhythmically camouflages that. He comes in on the and of 1, right? And then the and of 2, and then the and of 4. So he's adding syncopation there, which helps camouflage the fact that he's just descending on the F minor 7, starting on the 9th, going from the G down to the 7th, which is the E flat, down to the C, which is the 5th. On the B flat dominant 7, his entry point is the 9th. And he uses scale motion to ascend to the 5th. Descending arpeggio motion down to the root, leaps up to the 5th which is actually the seventh of the G minor in the, in, the, in the next measure. And look what he's doing on that G minor. He come, he's coming down arpeggio, kind of a camouflaged arpeggio uh, using syncopation. He's got the F going to the D, and then the, and then the, uh, the D again on count uh, on the and of two, he strikes that, and then the B flat on the end of four. And now look what happens here in the very last measure there in measure 54. He's going to have a cyclical, I mean, um, an enclosure around the third of the G minor, A to C to B flat. So there's another uh, enclosure, and then resolving it to the root of G minor to the note G. Great line. And uh, again, wrapped up in all of that descending arpeggio motion, starting from the ninth, uh, he's got ascending scale motion on the B-flat dominant 7, descending arpeggio motion on the B-flat dominant 7, and then def, um, descending arpeggio motion on the G minor 7, finishing with an enclosure at the very end of his uh, musical phrase. So, wow. Has this been amazing or what? Once again, we have covered and unpacked a ton of information today. I think we can affirmatively state that Keith Jarrett makes extensive use of scale and arpeggio motion when improvising. And we can also support the claim that Keith Jarrett uses enclosures, uh, cyclical quadruplets, altered dominant sounds when improvising. And we can state with great confidence that Keith Jarrett uses repetition and silence. We, we found that within the solo as well. With all this being said, I also want to draw your attention to this very important fact. And this is very, very important, so listen carefully. In the first two choruses of Keith Jarrett's solo on Miles Davis's Four, he played a total of 356 notes. I know that because I counted them. <laughs> okay. And 329 of those notes were either pure scale or arpeggio motion. In other words, only 27 notes are outside of the key center. And Several of those 27 notes that can theoretically be labeled as notes outside of the implied key center are actually altered dominant notes like the sharp 11 that we discovered several times throughout his solo. And just FYI, altered dominant sounds are so common to jazz musicians that they are basically considered normal or inside notes. But the bottom line is Keith Jarrett primarily use, uses pure scale and arpeggio motion when improvising over four. In fact, 93, basically 93% of the notes played by Keith Jarrett are notes coming directly from the scale. Scale notes or arpeggios. Something to think about when you're practicing improvising. So when you go back and listen to that solo, keep that in mind. And when you look at your lead sheets in your podcast packet, that color-coded transcription that I have in there, I have yellow dots over all of the notes that are either scale 
notes from the scale or notes of the arpeggio. So it really visually pops out to you just how dominant his use of scales and arpeggios are when improvising. And now that we know Keith Jarrett extensively uses scale and arpeggio motion when improvising, and we know how he characteristically constructs his improvisational lines using scale and arpeggio motion, it only makes sense then that we take the time to develop some Keith Jarrett type exercises, some etudes for developing musical and oral memory needed to formulate our own jazz improvisation vocabulary. Now, your assignment this week is to do just that. Let's see what you come up with. I'm going to do just the same. I'm going to do the very same. I'm going to come up with some exercises, and I'm going to present them to you in next week's Jazz Panel Skills podcast lesson. Well, I hope you have found this Jazz Panel Skills podcast lesson exploring Keith Jarrett's solo, amazing solo, on Miles Davis's four to be insightful and, of course, to be beneficial. Don't forget, if you are a Jazz Panel Skills member, I will see you online Thursday evening at the Jazz Panel Skills Masterclass, 8 p.m. Central Time, to discuss this podcast episode lesson on Keith Jarrett's four solo in greater detail, and to answer any questions that you may have about the study of jazz in general. Again, as a Jazz Panel Skills member, be sure to use the educational podcast packets, the illustrations, the lead sheets, the play-alongs for this podcast lesson, and the Jazz Panel Skills courses to maximize your musical growth. Likewise, make sure you are an active participant in the Jazz Panel Skills community. Get involved contribute to the various forums, and make some new jazz piano friends. As always, you can reach me by phone, 972-380-8050, extension 211, by email, Dr. Lawrence, that's drlawrence at jazzpianoskills.com, or by SpeakPipe, found throughout the Jazz Piano Skills website. Well, There's my cue. That's it for now. And until next week, enjoy Keith Jarrett's solo on Miles Davis's four. Enjoy the journey. And most of all, have fun as you discover, learn, and play jazz piano.